Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And what better way to research what would hypothetically be the latter seasons of the television show than talking about one of the greatest first basemen to ever live, one uh, the best first baseman of the 1950s, and somebody who 75 years in the making should have been in the Hall of Fame, basically. Oh, basically, excuse me. So without further ado, let us bring on the, the men uh, to talk about uh, why Gil Hodges should be in the Hall of Fame. We're going to start, before we bring on our featured guest, with the Brooklyn Trolley blogger himself, somebody who is no stranger to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, Mike LaColon. How are you doing, Mike? Hello, good evening to all. Uh, excited to talk about Gil Hodges. I really am. Same here, and uh, there are a, a couple of people who talked about Gil Hodges in such uh, interviewed people as well within that uh, context, um, and I'll let them do the shameless plug as to who they interviewed about it, but they did such a good job building the case with everybody, uh, not only themselves, but but their interviewees and um uh without further ado let me bring on baseball and barbecues podcast uh len aberman and jeff cohen and let's start with you len how you doing tonight oh great i i'm doing great i am so thankful that you guys uh invited us on it's very funny because we just had you guys talking on our show and so eloquently about Gil Hodges and why he should be in the Hall of Fame. And now we're guests on your show. I have to remember that I'm now the guest and not the interviewer, so I have to let you <laughs> ask the questions. But um, listen, that, that I, I won't mind, little... Len. If you if you have a question, you can throw it out there. All right, I might I might do that, Jeff. We may have to flip the switch and. Uh, and 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 interview these guys if we have any questions left for them. <laughs> okay. Jeff Cohen, how are you doing tonight? Okay, thanks for having us on. It's a real pleasure to be on Veteran Sullivan podcast. This is great. Excited to talk about Gil Hodges, so, who's obviously a, a Hall of Fame in our eyes. So let's start there, and, and first, you know, include your shameless plug at the beginning of this, Jeff. And go ahead and shameless plug away not only your podcast, but the podcast specific to Gil Hodges. I'm going to let, the, I'm going to let Len do the honors for that. Oh, wow. Oh, I am. Well, that's because I am shameless. And uh, you know what? There's not many things I like talking about more than our podcast. So Jeff and I have a podcast called Baseball and BBQ. The BBQ stands for barbecue. I think most of America knows about our podcast. 
um, maybe the world um, definitely knows about baseball and barbecue. Um, <laughs> I laugh because uh, we, we still have uh, some conquering to do of the world. But it, it's a wonderful podcast. We love doing it. And we have on some fantastic guests from the world of baseball and barbecue. But the, the episodes that we're extremely proud of that we just put out are two episodes dedicated to um, arguments, uh, people giving their reasons why Gil Hodges should be a Hall of Famer. And it was very simple for us because we, we, got to, we didn't have to do the heavy lifting. We, we just sat there and talked to people who felt very strongly uh, about Gil Hodges. So the first episode, we had none other than Ed Cranepool, uh, 18-year uh, New York Met first baseman who played with uh, as a player on, on the team and for Gil Hodges as he managed them and, and managed the 69 Miracle Mets to the first uh, world championship for the Mets. We had on uh, Mike uh, Kevin Kernan, uh, the uh, New York Post reporter for like 30 years. And then, of course, uh, I believe on that episode were none other than Sam Maxwell and Mike LeColland. And you guys were fantastic. Then the next one we did, we had on um, Irene Hodges, who is just, she's wonderful. Uh, she wanted to be on here with us tonight, but she actually... Uh, she wasn't able to make it, um, but uh, she's just just a terrific woman. She spoke so eloquently about her father. And then, of course, we had none other than Gary Mack of uh, Mess Musings Podcast. So that's, that's our shameless plug. But, again, you guys really helped to make uh, that podcast amazing. We, we keep getting comments about uh, specifically you guys and how well – you knew the team. You, I mean, you knew about Gil Hodges, and you really held your own on on a podcast with two guys who, I guess, you know, a former major leaguer and a and a and a sports writer, columnist in New York for so long, and you guys were right in there. You did great. So thanks. That's very nice of you to say. Yeah. Uh, that's quite hum- yeah. that's quite humbling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Greatly appreciate that one, and and it's uh, and that's you well, know. I wouldn't say it if I I wouldn't say, Gil I don't does. say what I don't mean. <laughs> I say it because I mean it. I think it's it's what where why it's such a passion for so many people and ourselves uh, to get this man into the Hall of Fame that he should have been in the first time around, basically. So um, let let me. Let's let's start with with you, Jeff. Uh, since Len uh, just took that, give your Gil Hodges pitch right off the top of the bat. He was everything that you wanted to be in a ball player. He was clutch. He was a leader. He was an all star. He was top MVP in voting for many many years. And his his leadership, which I really think you know, above all. I mean, his batting average is only 273. I, we get that. But, you know, he had the most home runs, anybody behind, only behind uh, his, his teammate, Duke Snyder, in the 50s. 
is the most RBIs, uh, second most RBIs, right behind his teammate, Duke Snyder, for the entire 50s. And I believe Mike said, you know, he had a 10-year, he was dominant for 10 years. It, there's no question that he was dominant for 10 years. And, and his, his defense was just as good. He was a fantastic first baseman, won the first three Gold Glove Awards. Obviously, he would have won more had they had the award prior to 1957. Not only that, just his, his, his leadership and, and friendship of, of Jackie Robinson helping him come into the league and really, I wouldn't say protecting him, but he was on his side, you know, always there to, you know, give a hand and, and just be there for, for Jackie with his hardships. And then, you know, he, then he retires and becomes a great manager. Yes, his managerial record is under 500. But remember, he took a lousy Washington Senators team and made them decent. Then he came to the Mets, and we all know what happened. In 68, he just watched. 69, he did a fantastic job. And then he was called home very too soon. Uh, he went out, he, was, he, was, he died in, in 1972, and at only 47 years old, no question he would have been a, a, a great, great manager. But just that year, 69, of what he did, the innovations of what he put in, the, the, um, the five-man rotation, the platooning, he, he started all that. He was just a great, great baseball man. And not only that, he was a war hero as well. If, if there's integrity in the Hall of Fame, Gil Hodges is the meaning of integrity. Amen. Um, let's, let's go to the Brooklyn Trolley blogger, Mike LaColon. Um This becomes personal for you. It is personal uh, for me as a Brooklynite. Gil Hodges has been a part of my life since I'm five years old. Uh, and I, I've told this story a couple of times. Sam, you're aware. Um, I was on the block. I was five years old. And this is when I lived in East Flatbush. And uh, one day... Uh, you know, what parents and adults were on the block gathered us kids together. And we walked up Snyder Avenue in Mass. And that's when I saw the funeral procession go by uh, as it was about to enter Holy Cross Cemetery. And once we got back to home, back on the block, that's when my education began. That's when they started informing me who... Gil Hodges was and, and the Brooklyn Dodgers and what he meant to the Mets. And that's when it started for me. Uh, uh, and that's when my education started. And, you know, here I am. And lo and behold, you know, uh, Gil Hodges would be interred within maybe 2,000 feet of where I lived. And then obviously growing up a Met fan here in Brooklyn, and as a teenager, uh, I was surrounded by Gil Hodges. And what do I mean by that? Uh, so many landmarks here in Brooklyn took his name. Uh, the Gil Hodges Memorial Bridge that goes from Flatbush Avenue over to Reese Park. Uh, Gil Hodges Lanes 
at the time where when I used to hang out there, Ralph Avenue and Avenue M before it moved to Mill Basin. But in the bowling alley at Ralph Avenue was a a rather large display case uh, displaying, uh, I believe, two of his golden gloves and other memorabilia. So he's always been a part of my life. Um, his murals, uh, they named a portion of Bedford Avenue after him, the bridge, bowling alleys. So he's been a part of my life, literally, uh, since I'm five years old. So, yes, Sam, uh, this is a personal matter for me. And uh, I, I, I just, I can't imagine the excuses, the potential excuses, should he not get enshrined into the Baseball Hall of Fame on December 5th. I'm just not going to understand it. Len, we're going to loop over to you. Um, it seems like with, you know, certain people championing in the public eye for Gil Hodges more than ever before, and the way the Veterans Committee is set up compared to the last time, contrasting with the last time that he was up for it, uh, this could very well be in his favor. And I feel it a little bit deep down inside, and I, I hope that those words don't come to bite me, but... Uh, how do you feel? What, what, where, what are you? How, how confident are you going into this round? I, I want to be optimistic, and I'm going to be optimistic. I, I feel like, um, and bec- I feel like I have more. I almost, I almost feel like I have so much vested in this, you know, um, invested, I should say. Um, I mean, before it was always I knew who Gil Hodges was, and, you know, it, it seems like he should be in the Hall of Fame. And then, the, and then when, we did, when I did research and started do, and doing this podcast with Jeff, and then we, we really delved into it, and you learn more and more about this man, and, and you just, it's, you cannot believe that this guy is not in the Hall of Fame. It, it really is just, it's wrong. It's wrong. He, he, he should be in there. He needs to be in there. Uh, he should have been in there a long, long time ago. But I, I also, um, Jeff and I were talking about this today, and I don't want to, you know, I hope I'm not jumping the, the uh, you know, ahead in this. They released who's on this committee, um, as you know, who, who's going to be involved in making this decision? And and most of the people um, on this committee um, that I'm aware of never never saw him play, so they're going with Stas. And and they're and and that's okay. That's fine. A, a lot of times that that's what you have to go by. But I really hope that they listen to some of the people, whether it's what Vince Scully wrote, whether it's uh, things, that, you know, whether it's the documentary. I mean, I don't know how much. I, I just, okay. So there's two things. One, I hope that all these things, if they're even on the fence in the least, that it sways them. But then I hope it doesn't go the opposite way. And the opposite way could be 
them saying, you know what, I'm not going to get pushed. This is how I feel, and I'm certainly not going to make it look like uh, my my decision was was swayed by all these people. And 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 I hope they don't go the opposite way, whereas they say I'm putting my foot down and no, I'm not going to do it. So what? I didn't just answer your question, did I? But. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to be optimistic, okay? I'm going to say yes. He is going to get in, and I know there will be a ton of people that will be extremely upset if he doesn't, but I'm not going to think like that. He is going to get in the Hall of Fame. That's it. Positive thoughts. December 5th, he will be voted in the Hall of Fame. That's it. Yes. And if, exactly. if I might piggyback on <laughs> yes, please. If I might piggyback on that, one of the members uh, of this committee, and I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, is Jaime Jarin or Jamie Jarin. He is a broadcaster, a Spanish language broadcaster for the Dodgers. Started in 1959 when Bill Hodges went to the Do- you know was on the Dodgers who went when went to Los Angeles. He knows obviously Vince Scully. So they know, if there's one person that can sway this 16-member committee, I hope it would be him and give a passionate reasons why Gil should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm really hoping Jamie Jaron or Jaime Jaron would would, uh, would be that advocate for Gil. So I, I, I'm going to look up these names if it has been released because I'm kind of curious myself, but I, I agree that that is hopefully where it, it uh, the, the fuel, the uh, fuel to light the fire within this veterans committee. I remember, you know, Tommy Lasorda was on the last one and I thought that was going to be enough, but I, it, I, Len, I understand the trepidation in some fashion and, and it's just, it's, too bad you know we're literally holding it's like you know wondering whether they're actually like like i can see the gil hodges people in front of cameras like it's draft night with all these different players and that's basically what we're waiting to erupt to hear that our guy got in um and and you know i want to start pulling up some of these numbers and really start doing a deep dive and as i do that I'm going to go back to you, Mike. Um, what, what is the first, you know, one, now that we've made the thesis, we, we had the opening introduction, where do you start the body? Wow. Uh, so many ways to go. You know, he was nicknamed the quiet man. But his actions on and off the field, his comportment, his character, and if you cycle back to the game itself, his production, is Hall of Fame caliber. Uh, I what, what I hope is that this board is not overly influenced by analytics because they don't serve Gil Hodges well. Uh, Another aspect of this is that there's 25 first basemen enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And, excuse me, I've heard it said not once but twice along the way 
and I do mean along the way over the last 30 years or so, that, you know, there's too many first basemen. And to me, that's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. Uh, when you look at those 25 first basemen in the Hall of Fame, Bill Hodges ranks 11th among them with his 370 home runs. You know, but numbers crunchers are going to look at that number of 370 home runs and call it rather pedestrian when you compare it to others. And that's just completely wrong. Uh, we talked about it on Baseball and Barbecue with Jeff and Len that they need to put his career in context. That's the important aspect here, that they put his career in context because for 9, 10, and 11 years, this man was a dominant player. Uh, and the numbers speak for themselves. From 1949 through 1959, that's a span of 11 years. He averaged 30 home runs and 101 RBIs per season. That's dominance. Uh, when he retired, he was third amongst all right-handed hitters in home runs. That's context, and that's dominance. Uh, not to mention that he was 11th on the all-time home run list upon his retirement. And I hope, I just hope and pray, this is the context that the voting board views Gil Hodges. Because to compare him is, is, is not appropriate. You must take Gil Hodges' body of work in and of itself and say, this is the way he ranked when he played. And that worthy answer. There should be no question. There should be no question. For an 11-year span, for his 11 years of dominance, he slugged over 500. But they'll look at his career mark and take it out of context. So what I really am looking to drive home here is that they keep his body of work in its proper context and, and keep it in that era with and against the teams and players he competed with and against. Don't take it out of context and compare him to, say, a Lou Gehrig who played generation before him, or pick anybody, Frank Thomas from the White Sox who played two generations after him. No. Leave Gil Hodges in his time frame and look what he did, look what he accomplished in the years that he played versus the accomplishments of his contemporaries. I beg them, please keep his career in context because for a decade, golden decade of the 1950s, Mr. Gil Hodges was a dominant ball player. Beautiful yeah. stuff, Mike. Um, here, here, exactly. So let's dive deep, you guys. And Len, I would like you to start when I'm done here. Um, 
Unfortunately, when we're talking about Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame, he lost service time not only to death as a managerial uh, Hall of Fame candidate, but he also lost service time to the war. Um, having gotten three at-bats, uh, I'm sorry, three plate appearances, two at-bats, as a 19-year-old in 1943 for Brooklyn, did not collect a batting average, did not collect any hits, uh, but did steal one base and walked once with an on-base percentage in those three plate appearances of 333. He then was in the war, uh, and when he came out of the war, 1946, he was at the Newport News Dodgers, where he batted 278 with eight home runs and 64 RBIs in 129 games, 474 plate appearances with a 378 on base percentage. He then, in 1947, when he made his debut with 28 games for the pennant-winning Brooklyn Dodgers, um, he batted 156 uh, with one home run and seven RBIs. Uh, didn't collect much, of course, but in 1948, when he finally got 528 at-bats at 249, with 11 home runs and 70 RBIs, this starts his ranking within the MVP voting. And he never from then on until 1955 uh, uh, was any uh, – any, he, he didn't finish out of the top 30 of the MVP voting. Um, following all-star appearances through 1949 to 1955, straight all-star appearances – He finished 11th, 8th, 16th, 19th, 14th, and 10th, respectively, in the MVP ranks. He led the league in games in 1951 with 158 and never finished above 100 strikeouts. Mind you, ironically, still, says a lot about the time, led the league in strikeouts in 1951 with only 99. Um, As you said, Mike... He dominated the 50s, and until after 1955, 50-60 finished in 153 games with 87 RBIs and was able to go back to close to 100 RBIs in 1957, another all-star game uh, performance with seventh uh, MVP. Um, he, He hit 98 RBIs with 27 home runs. And still, you know, uh, less games, obviously, in 58, but was able to hit 64 RBIs and 22 home runs out in the Coliseum, 80 RBIs and 25 home runs in the 1959 pennant winning, uh, excuse me, World Series winning season. And then, unfortunately, that's when, you know, Father Time started to take its toll until um, he was able to get 142 Uh, games out of the 1962 New York Mets at age 38, where he hit 252 with nine home runs and 17 RBIs and 142 plate appearances. And then in his 39, he only got about 11 games in 1963, and it was clearly at the tail end. But at that point, we're getting close to his managerial career. But, But Len, take it away having heard that overview of a career. Okay, so I'm going to say you, you mentioned you know when you start the when you start the thesis on him, the the next paragraph 
I want to start with what a beautiful human being he was from everything that I've heard and seen and read. But the Hall of Fame, they could say all they want, that, you know, it's character and this and that. But the bottom line is they're first looking at stats. And, Mike, you said it so eloquently and so right. You have to put it in the context of when he played. It's so hard to compare uh, generations of players. You just cannot do it. So you have to put it in the context uh, of which he played. Another thing, I think that these players that lost time to the war, uh, no matter what capacity they served. Now, in his case, he was in, he was in battle. He was in action. Some of the players, you know, that, that, that are in the uh, in military, maybe, you know, they're doing different things, but they're still in the military, and they're losing time to it. They should almost get like, a, you know, there should almost be like a military discount or something where they get some extra, you know, we're going to tag on, uh, you know, 20 home runs a season to your stats because in appreciation for your service. It's... Um, the other thing I want to say and is that Joe Torrey is supposedly one of the people on this committee. I look at Gil Hodge's career, and I compare it a little bit to Joe Torrey because Joe Torrey as a player, and I think Gil Hodges was a better player than Joe Torrey, but Joe Torrey as a player um, a lot of people will say he was a borderline Hall of Famer. He was, he was close. And then his managerial career is what pushed him over. Well, Gil Hodges was not a borderline Hall of Famer as a player, but even if you felt that he was, you take his managerial career, and Jeff said it very well, that he uh, managed, uh, you know, uh, before he was with the Mets, he managed a team and did, and that was very bad, and, and he... Uh, improved upon them, and then there's just no way that you can discount what he did with that 69 New York Mets team. The manager of that team, Gil Hodges, was as much the reason that they won that World Series as anyone on the team. And that's not something you could say now about managers. But back then, any player you speak to says, that it, Gil Hodges is the reason we won that World Series. And that was a huge World Series. The other thing, the last thing I'll leave you with um, on this is that none of us saw him play. None of us saw Gil Hodges play. And, and there are so many people that didn't see him play. And yet, we are all so committed and so so um, we want him in the Hall of Fame so badly. Why is that? It is because of who he was. So even though the stats are going to be the most important thing, that's what you know it will be, I really hope that they will look at the, the love that this man receives, you know, post, the, the posthumous love that he receives. It's unbelievable. Jeff, you look at this, and, and I think it's this weird, perfect storm uh, coming together to deny Gil Hodges' Hall of Fame. Um, 
He died April 2nd, 1972, age 47 years, 364 days in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, it's, it's, he wasn't around to defend himself, partially. Hello? Jeff, did you do that? Yeah, there? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I, uh, I, I didn't hear the full question. Uh, no, no, Jeff, are, you doing an, are you on another show, Jeff? <laughs> I heard some silence there for a while, but uh, uh, I think I got the gist no, of the question. No, he, so, he died. Yeah, no. He died. So, so what I was saying, young. yeah, yeah, he wasn't around to defend himself. It was the last thing I think I, right. I believe I said. Yeah, no, he, he, he died so young. And that was, yeah, as Len said, he was in the war, and that's when I believe he started smoking because uh, there were times with downtime. Mm-hmm. Know what to do. So that was his addiction to smoking. And that was obviously, we know, it, it's a, a terrible habit, and that's what led to his heart attack. But this man is, is so beloved and by everybody, even the people who didn't like playing for him. And, and I, I, I say that with kind of, uh, you know, not really meaning it. it, it I, I talked to Ron Svoboda. Len, Len and I had Ron, on our sh- Ron Svoboda on our show. And he did not like, he, he felt he was very immature playing for Gil Hodges. He, was, he didn't like authority and he, was not, uh, he wasn't very uh, respectful at the time. Uh, of playing for Gil Hodges, but he over the years he came to respect and 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 really really appreciated what Gil Hodges done for that team and, and for his career. And look look well, you can speak to Cleon Jones. I believe they had that on. Let, let me refer to that that, that film that they had on uh, the Gil Hodges story. Gil went out and took out Cleon Jones. You know, maybe maybe embarrass him by going out to left field and removing him. But yet, Cleon Jones still talked lovingly about Gil Hodges. That's how much respect this man had. He did not see race or color or religion. He saw ball players. He knew what it took to win, and that's what he he brought out the best in people. He put the, the players in the best possible position to win. The platooning. Be going to the five-man rotation. He, that's how it was as a manager. He demanded respect. He got respect. He wasn't very talkative. But he got the respect of his players, which is the most important thing. As a uh, player, I, I think, same thing. Have you seen the quote people said about him? He really said, if you had a son, it would be a great thing to have him grow up be like Bill Hodges. He really said that. Roy Campanella says Gil Hodges is a Hall of Fame man. That, that just says it all. And speaking about Roy Campanella, did you know that Gil Hodges came up as a catcher? And then, you know, Roy Campanella makes the team, I guess, in 48 or 49, and they moved Gil to first base, and he became a, you know, one of the best first basemen of all time. And why he isn't in the Hall of Fame uh, is, I, is a shame. Can I interrupt, it, it's just mind-boggling. Can I... Can I interrupt, Jeff? I'm very, very pleased to get Carl Erskine on the program to talk 
about Gil Hodges, and I thought you guys would be excited to hear that. Um, and and I, I can't wait for the Indiana man to talk about his fellow Indiana. Uh, Kyle, welcome to the program as always. Hey, thank you. Nice to hear you again. Thanks for asking me. Of course. Uh, so you sound great, first of all. How are you doing? Doing well here in Indiana. Always treated me and my wife well. And as we age and uh, get in a nice, comfortable retirement home, we're doing well. Well, that's fantastic. And first of all, let me introduce, uh, you know Mike LaCole, Mike? Hello, Mike. Hello, Mr. Hello, Mr. Erskine. Uh, a pleasure once again to speak with you. I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> I'm, I'm so well, thank honored. you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Okay. So we also have of the Baseball and Barbecue Podcast, uh, Mr. Jeff Cohen, I'll start with. Hello, Carl. It's a pleasure to be on the same podcast with you. Hello, thank you. And then we also have Len Aberman, uh, his uh, podcast in uh, podcast partner in crime. Uh, hello there, sir. I I will say hello, and it is an honor to speak to you. I am uh, it, it, truly an honor. I, I'm so glad to to be on the same show with you. Well, it's uh, mutually felt. Thank you so much. So, Carl, we just want to get right to it. Of course, we're talking about Gil Hodge's Hall of Fame candidacy right now, uh, which is coming up December 5th, the the voting. And you've talked about Gil ad nauseum on this podcast, but please, you know, wherever you want to start with about your fellow Indianans. Yeah, of course, Gil and I was, uh, we were connected uh, because of Stanley Fiesel, who was a Dodger scout who scouted Gil a couple of years ahead of me, and then he came around and watched me in high school and eventually uh, recommended me to the Dodgers. But, uh, yeah, I just uh, have a lot of inner feelings. Uh, one of them is Ebbets Field plays a national anthem every day, but the most song played besides the national anthem was Back Home in Indiana. Gladys Gooding, our organist, she... Uh, played that each time I came in to pitch or each time Gil was introduced uh, in the lineup. So we had that bondage uh, going for us. And uh, and he, Gil, he was such a uh, quiet giant. He, he was a strong influence in the clubhouse. And now a first baseman gets a lot of plays. But Gil was also not a holler guy, and he didn't throw the – stools in the clubhouse and he didn't I never heard him say a profanity in all the years 12 seasons I played with him uh, and he was respected so much and Gil had a needle he had a, he had a very subtle and a very uh, unique way of sticking a needle in you and you, you didn't know you had it in you for a while and then you realized you'd been stabbed pretty good <laughs> but he was kind of a quiet uh a quiet master of the needle. Well, that's fantastic, and I'm going to go around to our uh, brain trust. I think I'm going to just make this a, a, a roundtable interview with you, Carl, if that's okay. Uh, Mike, I'll go to you next. Hello, Mike. Hello. Mike, you there? Hey, Hello, Mike. you there? Mute, muted, Mike. My apologies. Yeah, my apologies. Yeah, dollar Carl, in the door. Dollar in the jar. <laughs> <laughs> Good. 
Carl, as, as a Brooklynite, uh, I'm fascinated with his relationship with the borough of Brooklyn. I was hoping you could take us back uh, into those more intimate days of his life. He met a Brooklynite, married her, raised a family here, uh, and, and and like yourself from Indiana, he came to Brooklyn. He embraced the borough. The borough embraced him back, and that's a unique relationship. I was hoping you could take us through that. I understand you also live here in Brooklyn as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact that he married a Brooklyn girl and raised his family here, uh, and, and, you know, Len and Jeff, they were able to speak with his daughter, and uh, Sam at one point spoke with Gil Jr. Uh, I was just hoping you could take us back to his family days here in the borough. Well, of course, that was the identity Gil had, uh, uh, marrying a, a girl and then living, actually, in the borough. Uh, of course, that made him, set him apart from the rest of us. Uh, uh, people often have asked, why didn't the players of that era uh, buy a home where they played? Because I played in Brooklyn 10 seasons. Why didn't you buy a home in Brooklyn? And I said, there's a good answer to that. We were all on one-year contracts. And somehow, having a 30-year mortgage didn't fit when you had a one-year contract. <laughs> so everybody <laughs> on the team went back to their hometown in the off-season, except uh, he married in the city itself and stayed there. And that bonded him uh, more than the rest of the team in a way. But you know, that's the reason we didn't stay in Brooklyn or buy a house, build a house in Brooklyn. Uh, on one-year contracts, it didn't match. That's that's great. So, Jeff, I'm going to go to you next. Carl, this is uh, first of all, this is such a such an honor to speak with you, a true uh, 1955 World Series champion, Mr. Erskine. Uh, about that team in 1955, I'm looking over the roster, and truth be told, I was not around. I came uh, a, few, a few years later. But looking over this roster, I'm in awe of all these players on, on this roster. Roger Craig, yourself, Tom LeBine, Don Newcomb, Johnny Padres, Campanella, obviously, Jackie Robinson, and, and Gil, and the outfielders, of course, Carl Ferrello, Sandy Amaris, Duke Snyder, and, and the rest of the team. Just a fabulous, fabulous team. All, all should be in the Hall of Fame. My question to you is, how was Gil, can you give me a couple of examples of how Gil was the leader on that team as a, like you said, the quiet leader uh, for that team? Well, it's a good question because you would expect a leader to be very vocal and a strong leader in verbiage. Gil was not that uh, at all. But he exuded from his personality, his genuineness, uh, a strength that was just present all the time. And, of course, he held the infield together. But he was also a strong influence without being a holler guy in the clubhouse. He was big and strong, quiet, but uh, he, from his personality, uh, he was really the glue. Uh, the captain was Pee Wee at shortstop. But alongside of him, in terms of the influence, was Hodges uh, on that infield and in the clubhouse as well. 
Carl, you know, uh, it should be noted since Jeff mentioned 1955 uh, that Gil Hodges was the uh, grade A stake reason uh, for that win because he collected a couple of ribeyes uh, <laughs> on the way to a 2 nothing win with Johnny Padres in the complete game. So, Len, I'll go to you next. Yeah, we're breaking up uh, some. I can't uh, hear you very well. So I didn't catch that last question. Well, it's all right, Carl. I'm going to pass it on to Len here. So, yeah. Carl, um, Jeff and I have a podcast called Baseball and Barbecue, and we've had on a lot of former players, but I have to say I don't think, and Jeff, you could correct me if I'm wrong, that we've ever had anyone on who's pitched a no-hitter in the major leagues, let alone two no-hitters. That's so. True. It, it It is really an, an honor. Um, you had some career, that's for sure. So I want to talk to you about those no-hitters. And since we're talking about Gil Hodges and how incredible of a first baseman he was, do you recall any plays in those two no-hitters, um, in either one of them, where uh, Gil Hodges may have, because of his fielding at first base, may have made a play that, uh, you know, maybe saved saved a, a hit, maybe maybe saved a, you know, from what would have been a hit. Right. Uh, play it first. Do you remember? Was there anything like that? There was one play, and it happened to go the other side of the infield. Uh, Jackie Robinson was playing third base, and Mays hit a ball that Jackie fielded uh, that was destined to be a base hit. That was the one that saved the no-hitter. Hodges was so methodical at first base, it wasn't uncommon for him to feel balls in the dirt or high throws. He'd have to uh, jump to save a, a wild throw. And those happen so consistently that it's almost hard to pick one and say that one saved the no-hitter. But Hodges was... Uh, like a vacuum cleaner. He he sucked up everything on his side of the infield. And I don't remember uh, specifically a ball that he uh, fielded that saved a no-hitter, but uh, during the course of the games I pitched, several of them with uh, Hodges at first base uh, and made plays where I had to cover the bag because Gill was such a wide-range fielder that he would go well out into the infield and field balls, and then there's nobody to cover first base except the pitcher. So we made that play over and over again. And uh, so he uh, he was just a vacuum cleaner, I was calling. One other question I have is, did, did Gil ever, uh, ever say that he wanted to be a manager after his playing career? I never heard him say that. And in fact, I think some of us who played with Gil a long time, a decade or more, uh, we were a little surprised. I don't think any of us ever saw him as a manager because of his soft uh, personality. And we'd feel like, uh, you know, he's a smart. He was smart, very smart baseball man and, and a sign stealer. He was very clever at picking up the signs of another uh, another team, but 
we didn't actually put him in in the. We'd play for Derosier and Dressen, both holler guys, and we we didn't see Hodges in that role. But if you talk to players who played for Hodges, like Tom Seaver, as an example, he said no, he didn't yell, he didn't use a lot of profanity, he didn't throw stools in the clubhouse, but he could look at you and give you a look that would send your shorts. He he had this uh, quiet way of sending a message without uh, cussing or without throwing the, the chairs around the clubhouse. And that was uh, typical of, of him, that he he was a strong personality and a, a strong person, uh, both mentally, morally, any way you'd slice it. And so Gil had a lot of respect uh, among, listen, all players that played with him, opponents, even the umpires. And uh, Charlie Dressen, the manager one time, sold Hodges. Why don't you argue some of those close plays at first base? You never say a word to the umpire. And all those close plays that happened at first base, you, some of them you ought, to, you ought to give him some lip. And he never, he said, I'll give you 100 bucks if this is the manager to Hodges. I'll give you 100 bucks if you'll argue enough with an umpire to get thrown out of a game. It never happened. <laughs> he never got the 100 bucks. <laughs> So, Carl, I just finished reading Lyle Spence's The Triumph and Tragedies of Hugh Casey. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to talk to you about him having just read this book, but I will also frame it in the context of Gil Hodges as, do you remember any, uh, uh, other than remembering Hugh Casey himself, do you remember the relationship Gil had coming up uh, as a rookie uh, with Hugh Casey? Well, I don't have, I don't think of one real fast. Uh, what I do think of when you say Hugh Casey, I do know that he took me, a young rookie pitcher, under his wing, talked to me uh, in a in a manner which was giving good advice, actually. And I know he asked me one time if if I could, uh, if he could give me some advice. And I said, you know, certainly. So we were in the outfield, and he said, well, uh, there are hitters in this league that hit 340 every year, a few. Now, I've never seen you pitch, he said, but they're going to hit you 340 just like they hit the rest of us. So my advice is bear down on the two or three hitters ahead of the good hitter. Make sure to keep the bases clear when the good hitter comes up. Boy, did that help me a lot to just in preparation and mindset on pitching a ball game. That uh, the hitter, the hitter that gets his hits, the doubles, the extra bases, the home runs. Uh, if he get them, nobody's on base. It's it's not something you want to happen to you, but it sure is less painful when there's nobody on and somebody hits a home run. But that changed my mindset as a pitcher that the, the guys that are ahead of the good hitter, they score those runs just like the good hitter hitting the home run if they're on the base. So bear down, he told me, to the hitters ahead of the good hitter. 
you don't often think that way, but he caused me to think a lot about pitching to the hitters ahead of the hitter that's going to hit 330 every year and hit some home runs. So <laughs> the great advice. Great advice. And I think I did see that uh, um, Miles Stats picked that up from, from you, and I believe I did read that in the book, so uh, that's good on him. Um, uh, pass it on to Mike. Well, during this podcast earlier... You repeat yourself. Oh, excuse me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Not, not at all. Uh, earlier, you know, we were trying to make the statistical argument for Gil Hodges' uh, enshrinement into the Hall of Fame. And what we fear most is that this voting body will take his career completely out of context. And we argue that from 1949 through 1959, we're talking 11 years here, that he was unequivocally one of the most dominant first basemen in baseball, uh, not to mention the National League. And I was hoping that you could speak to that perhaps opinions of some of his contemporaries and some opponents uh, in light of his production. Because, again, those 11 years, he was a dominant, dominant producer of offensive statistics. But career-wise, again, we fret that the voting body will take his career out of context. Yeah, I, I think... You know, he's come close uh, in other years. He's gotten several votes, uh, but not enough. This year, I hope, because it is his last year of eligibility to be voted on, will finally push him over the top. Because once the committee realizes what his career, the stats speak for themselves. But knowing that there will be no vote after this year, for him for the Hall of Fame, I hope will be enough of a nudge that they'll recognize that he certainly would be overlooked if they didn't vote him in this year. Well said, Carl. And um, before I let you go, because I, I know it is late, this is, I think, the latest we've ever had you on, Carl, um, <laughs> in terms of in the day. Uh, I'm going to pass it around one more time just to make sure everybody has gotten their fill, if you, if you don't mind, Carl, because you're, oh, you're, no. you're amazing. You're no. <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you, but I don't mind. You bet. I'll start with you, Len. Um, I, I just want to say again, Carl, uh, it is an honor to speak to you. There's so many things that I want to ask you about your career, but, of course, you know, the, we are talking about Gil Hodges. And the team, so I, what I wanted to ask you is this. So I, I, you know that I, it, it's impossible to follow this now and not know what's going on as far as everybody wanting Gil Hodges to be in the Hall of Fame. What, what do you think, if Gil Hodges knew that this was going on, that, that everybody was trying to get him in and, and, and the love and all that, what, what do you think he would say or feel or do you think he would care so much that he's not in the Hall of Fame? I don't think he'd ever tell you that. Um, I, I think he is, uh, has too hum- much humility to speak uh, about that in a way that would be kind of self-appraising. Uh, but 
uh, you know, the Hall of Fame should be a high, high standard to get in. Uh, it shouldn't be just a good guy and all that, but uh, he has all the credentials to get in. He's gotten lots of votes over time. I read somewhere, I don't think I better quote this because I, I don't have the backup for it, but anyway, there has been numerous votes for him to make the Hall of Fame. He never got quite enough. That's and, uh, right. No, you're right, though. You are right. He, he's gotten, I think he's gotten the most votes for anybody who's not in the Hall of Fame, I, I believe that is the fact. I think I've read that, and I think I remember yeah. a number somewhere in the 3,000s, but I wouldn't want to quote that for sure because I, I'm not mm -hmm. accurate uh, to know the accuracy of that. <clears throat> but, well, anyway, uh, over now you're talking about status to get in the Hall of Fame has to have some longevity to it. And so being consistent over a decade or more uh, almost is uh, essential to be a candidate for the prestige of being a Hall of Famer. Uh, it, it's, it has something to do with longevity. I don't think you can make the Hall of Fame in five or six years, although Koufax right. came pretty close to that. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I think it was less years for Sandy because uh, his, his uh, career changed overnight because of a tip that he got from Norm Larker, Norm Sherry, uh, a catcher, who told him that he was overthrowing, that he was throwing his fastball as hard as he could, and when he would throw it with less effort, it had more movement. He said, so you need to throw about 80% of what you can totally throw, because when you take a little off the fastball, it moves a lot. That changed his career dramatically overnight. And when he took that advice and Norm Sherry, the catcher, a backup catcher, who caught him a lot in warm-ups, said just back off of your fastball a little bit and he gets more movement. That overnight, he became from a 500 pitcher to a do most dominant pitcher in baseball. And over decades, he's been as good as anybody or everybody. So a little tip uh, from a, uh, a backup catcher really turned his co career into a Hall of Fame career. Wow. Beautiful. Jeff, I'll go to you next. Yeah, uh, my question is, Carl, I, I was seven years old when the Mets won the World Series in 69. And over the years, reading about that team and actually interacting with some of those players, you can tell just how much there is camaraderie and love they have for each other because of that team. Now, that's one team I can relate to. My dad speaks the same thing about the Dodgers, especially in those 50s. Can you talk about how closeness the, the players were on your Brooklyn Dodgers team? Well, I think it's a piece of history already that that team, uh, the centerpiece of that team was Jackie Robinson. But we had other Hall of Famers on that team, Campanella, Snyder, Reese. Uh, I think there was six plus a couple of managers who were in the Hall of Fame. So those, that era was uh, a big one for uh, the Dodgers and uh, Hall of Fame uh, members. So... 
I was privileged to pitch for a team. A pitcher needs two things. He needs a team that can play defense and a team who can get some runs. And that team in that decade could do both big time. So my own personal record, uh, I, I don't brag about it, but I'm very proud of it. But, but I couldn't have had it without the team that could play defense and score runs. And I was privileged to pitch for that kind of a team. Carl, before I uh, loop over to Mike, uh, we actually do have a phone call, and I'm guessing it's for you. So 571 area code, you are here on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Can you hear me all right? Yes, I can. Yeah, this is Earth's Great. Uh, boys, how are you doing? Anthony Marasco. We don't know each other directly, but we have a mutual friend, Jim Denny. Um, oh, sure. I'm the one. My son, my son is the, the artist who developed the hashtag uh, Hall of Fame Eats Hodges. We've been sending out stickers and buttons to fans, and I know you were very kind enough to find a bunch for us, and we've been giving them out to fans to help Gil Hodges in the cause. Right. Yes, sir. I don't know if you remember those or not. And uh, I just want to say thank you very much for everything. And, and um, I, I was only 10 years old when uh, Gil passed away, but my dad was a, an old Brooklyn Dodger fan. Campy was his, uh, his favorite player. And I feel this, his spirit whenever I see and uh, learn more about Gil Hodges and, and what a person he was, both on and off the field. And I really think that this year with the election, it's going to be different. I have a, I have a great feeling that I think baseball is going to finally realize the importance of character and sportsmanship and bringing the best on and off the field to, uh, to uh, uh, the baseball. And that's what Gil and you represent, too. And I just wanted to uh, actually talk to you and say I'm a big fan of yours. I appreciate all you've done for Gil Hodges over the years and with us on the Facebook page. I'm uh, an admin for the Gil Hodges Belongs in the Hall of Fame Facebook page. And I think we have a, a mutual friend. I have a distant cousin, very distant. Vic Marasco, who I think you played minor league ball with at one time. I did. You're right. Yes, I did. Yeah. It's interesting oh, that's you know that. Plan, yeah. Yes, and uh, well, it's, I uh, think, it's a wonderful uh, thing. And, and... I'm hoping the fact yes, that I'm this sorry. is the last vote and the last chance for the vote to go to Gail, that he'll make it. And I, it needs, you know, he's came close so many times. And he's got lots of votes, but not quite enough. And uh, if it's true, the story goes that Campy, who's in a wheelchair, missed uh, one of the meetings uh, where the voting would have put him in if it had Campy's vote. But they wouldn't take his call-in or write-in vote. He had to be present to make his vote count, and so he missed it. And I think that's too bad, but uh, if that's a true story, I've heard it over and over again. So maybe this could make up for that, hopefully. I had a chance to uh, – Roy Campanella lived in my town, town of Greenberg, uh, in Westchester County, New York, and he spoke at our school uh, one time, and I got a chance to – I just read his book, it's, uh, it's Good to Be Alive, and I had a chance to speak with him after the assembly. I was about uh, maybe 12 years old or so. And the wonderful stories he said about playing in Brooklyn and the fans and how he used to pick on Willie Mays all the time and, like, you know, kick sand in his shoes when he was at bat and everything like that. Wonderful, wonderful stories. And, and uh, I feel I, – I wish I was maybe 40 years older or so, just so I could be able to see Brooklyn play when they, uh, in, in, in town. But it's a wonderful thing. And also, I'd just like to say, we love you very much. 
Another group I belong to were called the Beltway Mets. We're an organization of Mets fans in the Washington, D.C. area, and we're doing what we can to, to spread the word about Gil Hodges and, and, and educate younger fans, Mets fans, what Gil was like and what kind of person he was both on and off the field. Yeah, good for you. That's uh, good to hear. Uh, he was a very popular player in, in Brooklyn. Of course, they, this, the tagline with Hodges in Brooklyn, which is a rowdy crowd, that they never booed mm-hmm. uh, Hodges. I, I could confirm I never heard I 12 seasons in Brooklyn, but, uh, well, maybe 10, uh, before we moved to L.A. <clears throat> I never heard a peep out of the fans in any slurry way about Hodges even though he had some tough slumps. But it, it never affected his feeling, fielding. Uh, it's often said when a hitter's in a, a batting slump that it affects, also affects his fielding. Not so with Hodges. He was a wide-ranging first baseman. Uh, he could feel balls uh, in a big, wide range uh, and caught a lot of base hits, actually, that might have been between first and the second baseman. But uh, anyway, uh, good hands, uh, and uh, he did have big <laughs> hands. But they said he could, oh. if it wasn't for the rules, he could play without a glove. But uh, <laughs> well, he, he wore gloves because it was fashionable. I remember reading that somewhere. That was uh, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, also, right. one more anyway. thing I like to say, because I'm in I'm in the Washington D.C. area, and we uh, have the Washington Nationals. So whenever the Mets come to town, we go out to see the Nationals play. Uh, when I go to baseball games, and the Mets aren't playing in D.C. I have a Washington Senators jersey with uh, Gil Hodges' number, and it's just amazing the number of fans, older fans, that come around and say they remember Gil when he was the manager of the Senators and what a great person he was and how he changed the team and worked with the team and they developed themselves and had confidence in themselves. And, of course, that lent very much to when he went to New York with the Mets, he did the same thing, and look what happened. So it's, it's amazing what he did, right. not just as a player, but to develop, develop players and men and people to be good to be the best they can. It's just a wonderful thing. Well, the, the players, like myself, who played with Gil, uh, I think had a little uh, doubt in our mind that he'd be a manager because he just never exploded. Uh, his temper was always in control. Uh, we always knew he was a very smart player. Uh, he was one of the best sign stealers I've ever played with. But at first base, uh, he, he was... Uh, he was just uh, totally uh, with every pitch, how he played, where he played, uh, had great range. And because he was a former catcher, he had some skills that most first basemen would never have on fielding bunts. Now, a catcher, one of his uh, skills has to be able to bounce out from behind the home plate and field a swinging bunt that nobody else on the infield could get. But Hodges, could, he had done that as a catcher, and it turned out to be one of the skills that he had as a first baseman because he was a good sign stealer, and he would often come to the mound and say, don't come over on this next pitch. What he would what he would say, uh, tell me was, or any pitcher, he's not going to be there. He's going to be charging because he's picked up the sign for stealing, and he, he knows this, that the runner's going to steal, and he wants to be on top of it at first base. And many times he threw hitters out trying to run from first to second uh, on a bunt or a swinging bunt. And so uh, 
he was a smart player, and besides his uh, normal skills as a, a great first baseman, he was also uh, a heads up in what happens in the game itself. So Hodges, Hodges was, a, was a second captain on the infield. And Carl, like this is the defensive part that gets lost within the Hall of Fame. Um, and so before we let you go, if you can talk to that a little bit in terms of not only Hodges, but many Hall of Famers, uh, 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 people who are left out. Carl, can you hear me? Yeah, excuse me. Yes, I can. Sorry, I did, you hear, sure did, you, did you hear any of that? I'm, I heard it. I heard it. I wasn't quite sure I was understanding the comment or the question. No, let me start over because I think I, I uh, cut out a little bit. So what I was saying was um, what you just spoke to is the leadership within the, dif- de- uh, the defensive element of the game that gets so overlooked year in, year out with players, not only of Gill's uh, acumen, but also of other people's acumen in terms of defense. Of, of, of course, there's certain players that break through on defense alone, but why do you think some of these offensive players get lost within considering the defensive side of things? Well, I've always, myself personally, of course, as a pitcher, you know, the defense is your best uh, asset on the field. Uh, I think defense, in a sense, is somewhat overlooked. Uh, defense is beautiful. Of course, we know the double play is uh, is very, very artistic in a way, uh, almost ballet at second base sometimes. But defense in baseball to this day is so beautiful. That, uh, and, of course, as a pitcher, I would, I would uh, very quickly acknowledge that you can't be a good pitcher without defense. And I just uh, think it gets overlooked some. But the be- one of the beautiful parts of baseball is defense. I don't think it gets half the credit, but people do, I know, enjoy seeing how the gloves are bigger, the gloves are lighter, uh, players have bigger range today. Uh, and so defense is a beautiful part of baseball. And, uh, and to me, at least, and I, uh, I see it, I won't say it's better any one era than the next, but I do believe with the lighter gloves, most of the gloves now are made out of uh, ostrich skin because it's light, it's tough, and it's light. And so defense has improved over the years because the gloves have improved. And uh, so I uh, I credit defense with, with a lot of the best entertainment there is in a baseball game. Uh, the 571 area code, I, I'm sorry I forget your name, but could you uh, repeat your name? Yes, okay. Uh, it's Anthony Morasco. Is this Jeff or Len? No, no, I'm sorry. This is Sam Maxwell, who probably uh, shared it on your Gil Hodges Belongs in the Hall of Fame Facebook page. Okay, great. That's where, that's where I saw it there. Yes, that's, that's wonderful. And, and uh, I've listened to your podcast a few times. I really enjoy it, and I learned so much, which is a wonderful thing. Um, and that's, well, that's, I appreciate great that, Anthony, there. and, and I'm glad that, I, I, I'm glad that I, I know your name again now. And before I let you go, I'm wondering uh, whether there's one last thing you would like to ask Carl. Uh, I just, I'd, like to, I'd just like to thank Carl again for all you've done 
you know, for, for young fans to, like myself, well, I'm not that young, but Brooklyn was for my time, to learn about the Dodgers and help what you, what you do for uh, what you've done for Special Olympics. Um, I think that's a wonderful thing. And just you represent so much both on and off the field as, as a good person and what baseball in my heart is about, you and Gil Hodges and a few other select folks. And I just want to thank you very much. And thank you very much again for autographing these stickers, the, this Hodges stickers. We gave out over 1,800 stickers and buttons the past year, free to fans, and uh, I gave out uh, all the ones we've gotten that you signed, and fans are very appreciative of it. And I just want to say thank you, Carl. Thank you very much. Well, you're very kind, and uh, from this end, I have to tell you, it's quite an honor to have the fans interested, still writing. I know people write me a lot, especially young people, because I played uh, nine seasons with Jackie Robinson. And they're always curious about uh, how, uh, tell me about Jackie, they say. And so I'm indebted to the uh, young fans who uh, are interested enough to write to me, and I never fail but to answer my mail. Oh, Carl, can I ask one more question? You brought up a good point. I'm sorry. Um, One quick question, Carl. Uh, Working, uh, playing with Jackie and everything, I've been reading he was a very reserved person, but... From, uh, he have, obviously has some camaraderie with his teammates, you know, because you all took care of each other and everything. And we know that he was very close to, to Gil. Were there any other players you feel that he was really close to that he might have opened up with a little bit? I think, you know, in a way, uh, there's a scout in Indiana, Anderson, Indiana area, uh, named Stanley Feasel. He scouted Gil a couple years ahead of me and recommended him move up to the big club, and then uh, two years later he scouted me in high school and followed me and uh, recommended. Uh, to, so Gil and I uh, were bonded sort of uh, on the team because of uh, uh, being from Indiana, and one of my fondest memories uh, was the organist Gladys Gooding, who used to play the song back home in Indiana. Every time I'd come in to pitch or every time Hodges was circling the bases, uh, for a home run, <clears throat> and one of the most emotional things in my life was going to Gil's funeral and walking out behind the casket when the ser- service was over, and Gladys Gooding, so help me, was playing the organ at the church, and when she played back home in Indiana, and I'm walking out behind the casket with Gil, <laughs> I'm telling you, Howard Cosell was there with his crew, and he wanted me to say something on the mic, and I said, excuse me, Howard. I can't do it. <laughs> it was a very emotional mm. moment for me. Mm. Wow. You know, Carl, I, I just have to, you know, uh, Mike told the story earlier, um, and, and uh, so I don't want to go too deep into it, but it's beautiful that you mentioned the funeral because Mike uh, talked about being a five-year-old and being escorted and masked down the street to the funeral where he lived on Snyder Avenue in 43rd Street, I believe it was, Mike, and that on the way back he was explained um, uh, that, uh, just what, what, who Gil Hodges was as a five-year-old, he was explained uh, who Gil Hodges was. So you bring it full circle in some fashion, Carl, about that, um, and, and, I'll, I'll first go back to you, Carl, but then, of course, I'm going to go to Mike uh, next. Hello. 
hear us? Yeah, I lost you for a little bit there. Oh, it's, it's all right, Carl. I'm sorry if you lost it, but, but um, uh, Mike, go ahead. Hello. Hello, Mike. Okay, hello. Boy, we must... Mike, you there? Mike, you there? I'm sorry. Are you... Mike? No, I didn't uh, hear him. Uh, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. My apologies. Oh, there you are. Uh, I got you now. Okay. Yeah, that's entirely my fault. I have one last question, and, and this is uh, a little bit uh, out of left field. October 4th, 1955, at 3.45 p.m., Vince Scully is quoted as saying, ladies and gentlemen, the Brooklyn Dodgers are world champions. Now, we, of course, would have loved for that to have happened at Ebbets Field. But, Carl, this took place at Yankee Stadium. And after the histories that used to uh, teams engage with each other, what was it like winning the World Series on their turf? Well, I can tell you a vivid, a vivid memory of mine going back up to after we celebrated on the field. Then we all went up the runway to the visitors' clubhouse in Yankee Stadium. And when we went up the runway and into the uh, into the visitors' clubhouse, uh, without orchestration, without a plan, without anybody's uh, nudging, it was very quiet in the clubhouse for two or three minutes. It was like uh, a reverent uh, atmosphere. It was like uh, no noise is needed. It was, uh, and years later, Roger Craig who was a rookie on that team, he told me in recent years that that day he noticed tears in Jackie's eyes, tears in Campy's eyes, tears in my eyes, and maybe other players too. Uh, the emotion was running so high, and that clubhouse was very, very quiet in a reverent way for, I don't know, it seemed like three or four minutes but enough to be uh, impacted in your mind that this was a special moment to be revered. And then the celebration started with the champagne bottles and the rest of it. But but I always remembered, and so I didn't think and never ask another player, but in recent years, Roger Craig, who was a rookie, he, he reminded me uh, at some function we were at, he reminded me what he saw that day, and he said, I saw tears in Jackie's eyes. I saw tears in your eyes and other players. The emotion was running so high. So before the celebration, uh, this little moment took place, and I'm so glad that I, it was confirmed to me <laughs> that it really happened that way. But uh, Roger said, as a rookie, <laughs> I really got a, a feeling about this the depth of feeling of that team when I saw players of the status of Jackie Robinson with tears in their eyes. And that was a true story, and I, I'm glad that it, not necessarily that he saw it, but I, I was surprised that he did see it, but it was true. Carl, um, I'm going to finish with this, and, and this will be my last question before we let you go. Um, uh, 
you mentioned Jack. We we all mentioned Jackie Robinson. You mentioned Jackie Robinson. If you could go into Jackie Robinson's relationship with Gail Hodges. Well, I don't have uh, I don't have a lot of uh, memory of anything specific between Jackie and Gail, but. You know, we were a team. We were a team that's played together for a decade. And the relationships, unspoken or spoken, were real and they were genuine because there was some kind of a bonding that takes place when you're playing what you might consider in the fire together. Uh, And so that team, for a decade, uh, the bat boy could make out the lineup. It was the same every day. And so that was a tight bonding that existed on the Dodgers of that era. And, uh, you know, I could feel it, and uh, I can feel it as I tell you about it. And and we love that, Carl. And um, we, we always like to say the final word uh, or whatever, shameless plug, but, but – uh, I think what I will lead with uh, before going to you about that was also uh, mentioning, uh, Anthony mentioned the Special Olympics and, you know, your your connection with your entire family, but, of course, uh, what what has brought you in your life to the Special Olympics, and that, and that is your son, Jimmy. Um, and I, I think it's just it's, you have such a good way, even before that, that uh, um, before that entered your life, before uh, uh, um, uh, the, the the cause entered your life with the birth of your son, you still had such a great perspective on life itself as well as as your uh, relationship to to the, the the what's fair and balanced and, and right in life. And that only reaffirmed that for you. So I, I just w- I wanted to give you, um, first of all, I want to say thank you for everything you've done to, in terms of being a great person, but, but also within uh, the Special Olympics. Well, Special Olympics, uh, it brings out the very thing that I think is the essence of this sport. And it should be kind of our own yardstick, is giving the most out of what you've been given, not measured by somebody else or measured by the clock or the stopwatch, but the the best you can give of yourself to to what your life is like, I think is a real test. And uh, it, it's almost a creed to me to get the most out of what you've been given. And uh, I think we all need to check ourselves and make sure we are getting the most out of what we've been given. Carl, I uh, I mean this when I say I love you. I appreciate everything that you've given to both life as well as this podcast. And uh, with your words today as well as everybody else's, we greatly hope that that uh, uh, Gil Hodges will be in the Hall of Fame soon. And honestly, and I've said this to you before, uh, but you should be in the Hall of Fame 
regardless of any numbers that would keep you out, you should be in the Hall of Fame because you are everything that the Hall of Fame deserves. Well, gee, that's uh, you sound almost like my brother. <laughs> hey, I, I, this, this is Anthony again. I, I, I should add, if you didn't mention it before, because I came in mid-podcast, Carl is in the New York State Hall of Fame, and I saw a Indeed. lot of, the, uh, a lot of uh, video from that ceremony. It was a wonderful ceremony, and, of course, Gil Hodges was also inducted at the same time. And uh, it's Indeed. amazing, that the oak of, of, of you and, and Gil, of course, it's like, you know, Twin sides of the same coin, and it's it's a wonderful. Again, and I know I said this several times. You both brought out the best in baseball, both on and off the field, and that's wonderful. Well, you're very kind uh, to be uh, compared along with Gail. Gail, Gail was such a, a super person uh, and quiet. Now I knew his parents, uh, and I knew his brother, and oddly enough, his father passed away in his early 50s, and, of course, Gil was only 51, I think, when he died, and his brother, uh, Bob, also died in his early 50s, all of the same uh, heart condition, a massive heart attack, uh, sudden, and that was it. So I was privileged, of course, to play with Gil for 12 seasons, and when you play with a player that long and go through all the fire that you go through uh you you get a sense of uh really bonding and i felt that with gil he was from indiana that was the first uh, first one but to play with him for 12 seasons and see you know first base is a busy place and uh he handled that so well you know he was originally a catcher did you know that yeah 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 i, yeah. I, I read that yeah so, yeah he was originally a catcher, uh, and they the, the reason the reason they moved him was to Campanella, right? Well, it was that was part of the mix, yes. And uh, so George Sisler, a former great first baseman, uh, trained Gill to be a first baseman, and uh, that was I remember that very early. It might have been 1950, even uh, it was in the early 50s. But uh, but anyway. Um, it's it's a pleasure to uh, answer your question and speak with you, and, and I appreciate you holding Gil up as a, the super person he really was, not just a great athlete. He was a man of character, a man of faith, and a teammate that you would say was a, was the kind of teammate you would dream to have. So Gil will be remembered that way. Carl, before I let you go, here's my last question. If you could speak on Joan Hodges. Oh, I, yeah, Joan's still living. Uh, wonderful lady. I don't see her much anymore. Occasionally at some baseball function, she'll uh, be present. And, uh, yes, uh, she was a very loyal and uh, enthusiastic fan, as well as being uh, the wife of one of the great players. Uh, Gil, we appreciate you. We appreciate you always coming on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, and I'll follow up with you in the next few days. Very good. Happy to do it, and thanks for calling. And happy holidays. And we'll all be praying for Gil, absolutely. I'll be 95 on the 13th. Oh, my God, that's right. God bless. That's right. We'll talk. Happy birthday. Happy days. 
God bless. That's, that's what, that's what you call a seasoned player. That's right. <laughs> happy, happy early birthday, Carl, and we'll talk in the next few days. You good. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Later. Thank what you. a beautiful uh, man, mm. Carl Erskine, former Brooklyn Dodger. Um, uh, we're, we're just it, – it, he's here for Gil Hodges, but we're always here for Carl Erskine. And, um, Anthony, I'm going to go to you uh, first. But first of all, thank you for calling in. I'm glad that I posted on your page tonight. Um, <laughs> and uh, we always like to talk about shameless plugs. So I want to go to you for your shameless <laughs> plug about what you're doing on Facebook to, to champion the Gil Hodges way. Oh, thank you very much. Um, we are, uh, a few years ago, uh, uh, some of us on the Gil Hodges page were, were figuring out what, what can we do for, you know, to help extend the effort for Gil besides the Facebook page and uh, petitions that have been out there and such. And um, my, uh, my, my friend Claire, who is also an admin for the page, we were talking about some, some thoughts, and I said, how about a hashtag? Because that's what folks are using nowadays, right, for HOF needs Hodges. And uh, Claire thought that was a pretty darn good idea, so I registered the hashtag. And my son, William, who uh, is a recent graduate from Savannah College of Art and Design, designed the logo, which is, I don't know if you've seen it, we have it on buttons and everything. And I said, we gave out about 1,800 or so stickers and buttons over the years, free to fans. And we had uh, design, he made the design. And I spoke to Irene Hodges, a very lovely woman, and I said, would it be all right to, to do this and to give buttons and stickers out to fans? And she said, sure. And the whole thing is just to spread the word. And it turned out uh, it was a great idea because uh, I, I got so much out of it because I got to talk to folks who actually saw Gil play or folks that, from, uh, that knew of him, you know, lived in the neighborhood and older fans. And that was a wonderful thing because they're sharing their stories, and I learned more about Gil that way, and I feel a part of it. But I also enjoy um, – I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn 60 next year, so I'm not uh, a Dodger fan. They were long gone by the time I was born, but I was born – my dad would say I was born a Mets fan in 62. So, um, of course, with the Gil connection. But one thing I really enjoy doing is uh, with a lot of our younger Mets fans, uh, we have a, a very active Facebook group called the Beltway Mets, uh, Mets fans in the D.C. area. Primarily, we've got New York people here, too, because D.C. is just a very metropolitan area. A lot of younger fans who are in their 20s, they know the name, Bill Hodges, and they know those numbers are, but they really don't know much about them. So we take this as an opportunity, some of the older fans in our group, to tell – Tell these, uh, these younger fans about, you know, the pre-86 Mets. Even 86 would be kind of uh, uh, before their time. And they learn more about Gil and what kind of person he was. And, and I, I, I'm very happy to say that many of the fans we talk to, they, they, they learn more about it and they ask more questions. And they're really understanding how special Gil was, not just for the team, but also his connections with, with the Brooklyn Dodgers and uh, as a person and just in general, though. And I, and I I, I really I get tickled when I just think about that because it's a nice thing to do. And uh gives me a little street cred with the younger kids, too, which is always a good thing because not just being the old Mets fan, you know. <laughs> but, uh, it's a really good thing. So uh, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and uh, we're hoping uh, you know, on Sunday that, you know, I, I know that uh, the makeup of the committee is, isn't exactly uh, New York going to – I mean, we have, have some Dodger folks on there and I think uh, Philadelphia and, and I think some uh, Minnesota folks. 
uh, on the committee. But I really feel this something is going to be a good year. I just something tells me because this this is going to be the year because we had COVID and a weird baseball season and everything's going nothing is nothing certain anymore. So this just might be the stars just might be aligned this time, right? For something to go, and this just might be the year. And seeing all these wonderful things out there, all the news articles you've seen about talking about Gil's character, Vince Scully. Oh my goodness, the essays he's written is just you know. I think they should. And I heard this on your podcast too. So much that Vince Kelly's just like Zoom committee meeting with the, uh, the Golden Era committee before they vote. And if that won't change their votes, nothing will. Now, that would be a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And that's You're what we've been trying to, to do. The Bedford so and Sullivan podcast. Um, yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Exactly. That absolutely. is what we're trying. That's what we're trying to do. And um, uh, I, I, I want to keep you on, Anthony, just to wrap up the show with us. So. Uh, we're going to go uh, uh, another round. This is what uh, we're here for is Gil Hodges. So, um, Anthony, you, you can stick around? Well, for a little bit longer. i got to get up early for tomorrow, but sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we shouldn't be more than 10 to another 15 minutes. So I will start. Oh, that's start. fine, of course. First, first of all, uh, uh, I, I'm going to go to you, Jeff, next. Uh, what a treat, huh, Carl Erskine? Oh, my gosh. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. I thank you for making that happen. That was fantastic. Len, uh, whatever you want to touch on, Carl Erskine, before we uh, we get back to Gil specifically. Yeah. Um, one, yes. A wonderful treat having him on. Um, Jeff and I, we love our baseball history. You know, on our podcast, we... We do talk about modern baseball, but somehow we always end up talking about the history, which is so rich in this game. You know, you mentioned, so there's two things. One, you mentioned former, you called Carl, Carl Erskine a former Brooklyn Dodger. I think with the Brooklyn Dodgers, you're never a former Brooklyn Dodger. I Good think point. you are just a Brooklyn <laughs> Dodger for life. I really do. Good I think um, that is that is a definite thing. Um and then the and then the last I thing I just wanted to L say there. to Ant- I will take the L. <laughs> um, I I wanted to just say to Anthony, uh, Anthony, you <laughs> were fantastic one calling, but um, you reached out to to me and to Jeff um, when you saw it, when we posted on uh, the Gil Hodges belongs in the Hall of Fame um, Facebook page our our podcast. You reached out. And you asked for our addresses, and you sent us the stickers. Um, you know, whatever postage you paid and whatever that – I mean, I'm just, I mean, that's totally out of your pocket. And I just – they were beautiful stickers, and I, I've been wanting to thank you for that. So I'm so glad that you called because uh, thank you so much. You, you really um, are doing – such a great thing with those stickers, so thank you. I, I want you to know how much I appreciate it. Well, you're very, very welcome. And again, connecting with fans, and, and it's all a wonderful experience. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to say this to Carl, but um, he was, he sent me one time um, after I sent him some stickers over. He wrote me a, a, a nice Christmas card on there, and in, uh, he wrote, "Thank you for everything." Very nice uh, handwritten note. And he said about, "Are you related to a player that I used to be roommate with, named Vic Morasco?" And that's where I got that from. So I did some research. I think, yeah, that is a very distant relative, which I thought, wow. 
we have someone in the family who actually knows Carl Erskine. And the fact is, I'm actually just talking to him. I mean, I'm still kind of giddy about that because you know he's the last boy of summer and, and, and all the things he's done. And, and uh, Jim Denny, who's a, a, who's a good friend of uh, Carl's out in, uh, in Indiana, I'm good friends with him uh, through Facebook and everything. And he helps connect people with Carl. And, like he gave me Carl's address to send some stickers and stuff to. And Carl would sign, sign him, put him in a self-just envelope, and just send him back to me. And so I just, just distribute that. So it's, uh, it's great. Absolutely beautiful, and I'm I'm glad it was just it dawned on me to to see if we can get Carl in on this conversation about Gail Hodges. So I'm I'm glad I thought of that. Um, uh, Mike, are you as there? a New Yorker? I could say yeah. You got Carl Frisk freaking Oiskin on the phone. That's like pretty amazing. <laughs> 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 yeah. And Mike, 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 I'll segue over to you. That it shouldn't be Erskine Street. It should be Oiskin Street. You know, that would be apropos, but, you know, Erskine Street is fine with me. Uh, I think it's great recognition. I'm I'm so glad the borough did that, and it just adds, you know, to the everlasting legacy that those guys left behind that we live in today. Uh, We talk about Gil Hodges. I lived in Brooklyn. I lived in his legacy. Like I said, parts of Bedford Avenue named after him. We have art murals, at least two of them that I could point out readily. Uh, we have a bridge named after him, a bowling alley named after him. So his name, his presence was inescapable as a young boy growing up in Brooklyn. He was buried, like I say, within a 1,000 or 2,000 feet from where I lived, and I saw that motorcade go by. So he's been a part of my life since the early age of five, and that's when my education started and 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 if i may stray you know that education started with gill and the brooklyn dodgers excuse me and what he meant to the mets uh but it's nights like tonight that remind me how blessed i am because you know like i say having lived in gill's legacy here in brooklyn i i met joan hodges i met jackie robinson's daughter I feel blessed, and I'm so grateful, eternally grateful for my aunts and my uncles who, you know, started my education on Willie Mays and Roberto Clemente, respectively, in the early 70s and and, and taught me everything that they knew, and I worshipped them. And, and through Topps Collections in 1974, uh, I knew that Hank Aaron was my first God, my the first baseball God that I ever, you know, recognized was Hank Aaron. And it was through that one set through top. So I was like, wow, this guy, you know, he's somebody. But uh, I feel blessed uh, for everyone I've come in contact. And this all leads up to speaking with Carl Erskine uh, and, and Frank Thomas, for that matter, you and I, Sam, on the Metzian podcast and how he spoke so eloquently of Gil Hodges. Uh, but here we come up, December 5th, here comes the vote. You know, uh, I'm praying and I'm crossing my fingers that Gil finally gets his deserving place inside the, the Cooperstown Hall of Fame and Museum. Uh, and having mentioned that, one last plug, a shameless plug, there's three Brooklyn Royal Giants Brooklyn's other professional baseball team, 
but there's three former Brooklyn Royal Giants on this ballot. John Donaldson, Dick Cannonball writing, Grant Homerun Johnson, that I would love to see them get their uh, rightful place in the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, you know, these people, these names, these careers, these histories go underspoken. And I spent this last summer in conjunction and, and cooperation with Donaldson Network, and I, I recapped and uh, replayed the 1918 season, John Donaldson's lone season with the Brooklyn Wall Giants. I brought back to life newspaper articles and box scores and recaps. And, you know, it's just my, my small, small fractional effort and uh, in, in a much larger effort and endeavor uh, spearheaded by Mr. Peter Gorton of the Donaldson Network uh, to get this man and I hope, like I said, the other mentioned Brooklyn World Giants as well as Gil Hodges uh, in the Hall of Fame where they belong. So I'll leave it at that. You know, I'm just a major Brooklyn proponent. I'll shake my pom-pom yeah. at any chance I get. So this is what it's all about for me. If I can interject Thank you, thing, Mike. I apologize. Mike, as a, as a, I mean, my, my family came from Brooklyn originally, Diker Heights, I've that I grew up in Westchester. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, who was born and uh, raised in Brooklyn, he and his family have been there for generations, he was telling me that uh, for the uh, next year is the 50th uh, anniversary of Gil's passing, that Gil's church is going to be having a special service for an honor of Gil uh, to celebrate his, uh, his passing from 50 years ago. I don't remember the name of the church offhand, but I'm sure there's going to be information about it in Brooklyn. I just thought that was very nice. Yeah, we can uh, find out. With that, it's out. Without a doubt, uh, I'm going to look into that, and I'll, I'll be sure to, you know, uh, revisit that with you very shortly and see if we can determine yeah. that. Uh, but thanks for bringing that up because I would, I think I would very much like to be a part of that and attend uh, just, you know, out of respect for Gil Hodges and what he meant to me as a Brooklynite. You know, I, I didn't see the Brooklyn Dodgers play. I'm not that old, yeah. you know, but... I grew up in the shadows here in Brooklyn. His name was inescapable. And if you're a baseball like a baseball fan like I am, and you cut me open, baseballs fall out. You know, so <laughs> this is a man who's very near and dear to me, even though I never met him or or seen him in action. Uh, but uh, historical figures can have that effect on you. And this is one. And this is why he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Because the fractional breakdown is one out of every 100 players who ever played this get into the Hall of Fame. Is Gil Hodges not that one out of every 100 players? And I say definitively, yes. Uh, Anthony, I was going to... I want to make sure that you... Uh, reach out to me via Facebook, whether it be Bedford and Sullivan or as Sam. I'm not sure if this just cut out mm-hmm. again, but uh, Anthony, make sure that you reach out to me via Sam Maxwell or Bedford and Sullivan Brooklyn on Facebook, because we're going to dedicate an entire episode to you after this, by the way. Um, I'm glad me? that you we, uh, oh, so, no. touched about tonight. Oh, so, well, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, very nice of you. I don't, I don't know if I could be of interest for that long, but sure. Thank you. <laughs> well, Hey, you, you grew up like what you just laid out was the fact that, uh, did you say you were born in Brooklyn? 
No, no, my 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 father's family was uh, from Brooklyn, but I grew up in Westchester. That's, That's enough. <laughs> That's enough. And then you oh. also uh, were uh, grew up in you know what was part of the era's shift in population. So we we have a lot to discuss and we have a lot to talk about on this podcast <laughs> regarding oh, yeah. all the shift. Say, I, I, I couldn't afford to live in the home where I grew up. I just I'll just tell you that now. I couldn't live in that neighborhood <laughs> now. So that's why I'm down here I, in DC. I will say <laughs> I will say as a Brooklynite that there is a common metropolitan sensibility among us. Yes, and my wife tells me when my New York sensibilities come out, she tells me to uh, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> we we have a mixed marriage in our home, by the way. My my wife is a uh, is a Red Sox fan. Bond, and yes, which fan. you have been listening to, and we greatly appreciate. Um, it. it I'm obviously having some sound issues if you can't hear the, the alterations, but one way or another, let us wrap up. Let's start with Jeff. And first of all, I'm going to start you off with your shameless plug and also your last shameless plug for Gil Hodges. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to leave the shameless plugging to Len because he's much better than I am. But for the shameless plug for Gil, we mentioned the, the committee that is going to review his candidacy, and they need 75%, so there's 16 members, and they need 12 votes. And I just want to read off the names of these members who will have Gil's fate in their hands. It's Rod Carew, Fergie Jenkins, Mike Schmidt, John Schulholtz, Bud Selig, Ozzy Smith, Joe Torrey, and Major League Executive Al Avilia, Bill DeWitt, Ken Kendrick, Kim Nigg, and Tony Regans, and some veteran media members and historians, Adrian Burgos Jr., Steve Hurt, Jaime Jarin, and Jack O'Connell. I'm praying that they do the right thing and induct Gil Hodges into his rightful place into the Hall of Fame. Jeff, thank you. I've heard great things about Joe Torre in person. I've met Ozzie Smith myself, and she couldn't have been more of a sweetheart. And all the names uh, that you mentioned, including Fergie Jenkins, is one another one that st- stood out to me. Len, I'll uh, go over to you for the shameless plug, as well as your last shameless plug in Gil Hodges. It sounds like something feels a little bit better than whatever fate the way the Veterans Committee was the last time Gil Hodges was up for it? Um, so I'm just going to say that, one, thank you very much for having us on tonight. This is this has been a thrill. Uh, having Carl, Carl Erskine on was terrific. Having Anthony on was terrific. Uh, you guys are great, so thank you. Um, I, I don't know how I should feel with the fact that Jeff keeps throwing over to me for the shameless plugs. Um, but, you know. <laughs> but, okay. Um, as far as Gil Hodges, I, I can't say any more um, than has been said. We put out two episodes with some people, you guys included, who said great things about him. There's, there's nothing else to say. It, it, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. It's long overdue, and, you know, it's just it's time to just end this long wait and just put him in the Hall of Fame where he belongs. Let his family enjoy it. Let his fans enjoy it. 
and just and just do it. That that's it. Get them in. Um, as far as shameless plugs, I will just say this: for anybody listening to this, if you are a fan of baseball um, and barbecue, you, you don't have to be a fan of both. Um, we Jeff and I put out a podcast that I I think we've been doing now, it will be celebrating our four-year anniversary in December. When we started doing the podcast, we had no clue what we were doing. We really did not. We, we just thought we were the last two schmucks in the world that didn't have a podcast. It seemed like everybody had one. Over four years, I think that we have developed a podcast that is really unique, and is really good. And I, I really, I would love it if anybody listening to this who hasn't heard the podcast would find us. We, we have a, a website, um, baseball and uh, bbq.weebly.com. Uh, I think that's what it is, right, Jeff? I think. Is that it, Jeff? Wow, you got that right. I did, Okay. But we're also we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio. If you have a podcast app, give us a try. I always say if you don't like what we have on that episode, just listen to another. We have so many of our episodes posted. You will really appreciate, I think, what we put out there. And all I ask is that you guys, whoever's listening, give our podcast a try. You know, we're an independent podcast, just like you guys are an independent podcast. You know, we're not we're not uh, Joe Rogan. Uh, we're not, you know, we're not one of these podcasts <laughs> that, that is getting you know millions of dollars. We're an independent podcast. We do it because we love doing it. It it, it we just enjoy it, and it's it's wonderful because we get to do things like this. We get to meet people like you, Sam, and you, Mike, and Anthony, hopefully uh, we get to talk to you and, and maybe one day get to meet you. So it's just a wonderful thing, and we, I hope, I know this is a shame, and maybe now I know why Jeff gives me the job of shameless plugs, uh, but I really <laughs> hope that you guys, <laughs> I hope you guys will listen, and I really hope that Gil Hodges will finally get into the baseball the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Thank you, guys. Honestly, I would induct him into the International Baseball Hall of Fame, Len, at this point. Let's be honest here. Mike, thank you, Len. Mike, your shameless plug and your Gil Hodges shameless plug, of course. Hey, Mike. Hey, yo, Mikey. Yo, Mikey, I have a blog, the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, and that's a simple spin of the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers, nothing more, nothing less, and it's a blog where I get to celebrate my fandom here in Brooklyn, and it's it's dominated by baseball, uh, Mets, history, and a lot of Brooklyn Dodgers, but, you know, I like talking about all my teams, and, you know, occurrences and happenings and events here in Brooklyn that have nothing to do with sports. So it's, it's, it's my candy store. It's my hangout. Uh, and like I said, you know, I, I, sometimes I try doing serious 
writing. Sometimes, you know, uh, I'm just having fun and shooting out opinions or recaps and observations of things of that nature. Uh, but the point I really would like to drive home is that Gil Hodges, whom I wrote about numerous times, uh, is deserving of enshrinement into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think that's without a doubt. Uh, we've made this very clear. I, 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 I have yet to hear, uh, as Len says, through the magic of this Internet that's brought us all together, of which I'm very thankful because I've come into contact with some, you know, uh, great, unreal, you know, contacts that perhaps without it, I never would have. Uh, authors and, and historians and people like yourselves who I developed friendships with and associations with. But Gil Hodges, let's get this right because I haven't, I'm yet to hear from the uh, the opponents. All I hear are the proponents. Where are the people? Where are the naysayers? I'm yet to hear them. And, and you know, to have this body come down and vote upon this, and should they fail, I want them held accountable, and I want to hear from them, and I want to know who they are, and I want them to report their thought process to the public and see what kind of reaction they get in return. Uh, this is a, a unique matter in which I think, you know, they say if GMs listen to the fans, you know, they'll be sitting with them because they'll get fired. There's an instance where I think the fans are just 100% right. And, and the investigators and let's call them the naysayers and the analyzers and the decoders, you know, what is the misunderstanding? Because everyone seems to be in complete uh, unification over this matter. And I would just like to force home again and reiterate that the other Brooklyn professional baseball team, the lesser spoken, the Brooklyn Royal Giants, well, if I have my way, I'm going to keep them at the forefront. And I will remind that three players that play for that team, John Donaldson, Dick Cannonball, Redding, Grant Homer, and Johnson, all former Brooklyn Royal Giants, are deserving of the Hall of Fame. And I do not appreciate that the Hall of Fame tries piecemealing, carving up, and, and, and taking what they feel is best to serve their personal narrative. That's an injustice they need to rectify. Uh, they made steps in recognition of a certain era, but that falls far short, far short uh, of what is due and just and, and right insofar absorbing the entire Negro League narrative. And I'll leave it at that. That's my final word before this December 5th voting. Mike, that's brilliant. Um, it, it works perfectly into everything that we're going for tonight. And, and I do believe that, you know, it's not just what we're talking about uh, with Gil Hodges, like you say. It, it, it is the injustice uh, 
of Gil Hodges and so many players that came before him that weren't as lucky as Gil Hodges. And here we are still speaking of Gil Hodges being out, but an entire race of people have been left out because of an unjust bias that worked against them for not only the years that Gil Hodges played, not only the years before Gil Hodges played, but decades and centuries and millenniums. So let's remember that, like you say, Mike. And it's not just about those three players. It's it's about the the, the entire list. Um, And I wish I had it uh, in front of me, but there's, Again, so many different players deserving, and I, I hope that they get their chance along with Gil Hodges. But Gil Hodges, what I hope goes into those names that you listed, um, I hope what goes into their thought process is the fact that it has gotten more and more unjust as it went along, the non vote and to the point that the farther away we got from him playing and from him managing, um, there was less of, of a perspective. There was less of a context, as you said, Mike. So what I hope is not only the, – the, all of those names, I, I believe, can go from word of mouth and go from understanding and maybe even go from their own perspective of having watched Gil Hodges. That is what we are hoping for, that this is – that they, they, they have fixed the voting process, with, especially now with this Veterans Committee part, that not only could Gil Hodges finally have the appropriate people being like, well, this is ridiculous that it's taken this long, but that other players will get the same, the, the, the same due process with being in the Hall of Fame. Keith Hernandez comes to mind with somebody that not only uh, had a great offensive career, but was the definition of a a defensive Hall of Famer. What is he not doing in the Hall of Fame? So hopefully this, this is a referendum vote, not only on the Negro League players, not only on Gil Hodges, but what can come from this with this baseball Hall of Fame and Museum that is supposed to preserve our baseball history, which is ingrained in the American narrative and the American narrative that has been skewed improperly needs to be corrected with some of these votes, especially when it comes to non-white players. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Len. Baseball and Barbecue Podcast, everybody go listen. Gil Hodges in uh, – get Gil Hodges into the Hall of Fame. Hopefully this is – Can I, can I say one thing? Anthony, I apologize That again. needs to happen. Yes, please. Go ahead. Okay. I'd like uh, – uh, and I'll be quick about this. Another thing, I've been able to get in contact with a lot of ball players who support Gil, you know, through, uh, through Facebook and such, like – Ed Hearn, uh, Jim Gosker, Jerry Kuzman, Rocky Swoboda. And I'd like to end with a quote that uh, Rocky Swoboda sent me. 
in an email, and I posted it on the Gil Hodges page. He said, as I, as I have said more than once, if Gil Hodges is not voted into the Hall of Fame, something is wrong with the process. And that's a direct quote from Ron Svoboda from the 1969 Mets. And I agree with that. Just like the end of that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I greatly appreciate everybody listening, everybody coming on to champion Gail Hodges in the Hall of Fame. Let's get this done. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night tonight. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Have a good night. Let's get Gail Hodges in the Hall of Fame, everybody. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.